Thanks for tuning in to Adiscope, episode number 70, Becoming a World Champion, an interview with Tatiana McFadden. She shared with me her incredible story from growing up in a Russian orphanage with spina bifida being paralyzed from the waist down, all the way to becoming a Paralympic gold medalist multiple times and the current world champion title holder. Sports marketing expert, Brian Cristiano. Brian Cristiano. Brian Cristiano. Sports fans are arguably the most passionate people probably on the face of this planet. Marketers and advertisers and brands always have to keep in mind, you have to play to the state of your audience. If you're not passionate, do something else. Tatiana McFadden has beaten the odds, pushed the boundaries of physical and mental success. She's a four-time Paralympian in both the summer and winter games. She's a multi-time gold medalist and the only athlete ever in any category to win the Boston, London, Chicago, and New York City marathons in the same year, and she's done that three years in a row. Outside of sports, she's credited with the passage of athletics equality acts in both Maryland and on the federal level. She's currently training for the Rio Paralympics in 2016, and she gave me some insights into her story, her motivation, and her incredible success. I gave her a list of some of her accomplishments, and this was her reaction. When I list those accomplishments, how does that make you feel? <laughs> it's quite amazing. Um, I've achieved a lot, and I absolutely love what I've um, I just love what I do, and I'm having so much fun, and I'm only 26 years old, so hopefully things will keep going up, and, and I hopefully will continue to, to do what I love because I'm, I'm healthy, and, uh, you know, it's, it's all really, really exciting. Yeah, quite a lot in 26 years. It's really amazing. It's quite a long list, and that's just, that's not even everything. I mean, I'm just summarizing, but what kind of training does it take to compete at such an elite level? Uh, that's a great. Uh, that's a great question. You know, training is two times a day. You put in well over a hundred miles a week. You live twice a week, and I really feel that my life is Groundhog's Groundhog's Day. I wake up and I go straight to training, and I come back and you know have a meal and get ready for the second session. And um, so it's pretty pretty tough. Um, we you know we have about three week. Um, period of training cycles and each training cycle we may focus on something different you know in the winter we really focus on power and strength building and when we transition and get ready for the marathons we really focus on on the endurance um and and the distance part of it and hopefully by the summer everything kind of comes together mm -hmm. we may work on a little bit more of the sprinting and working on the starts for athletes who also do the 100 meters like myself and so Having that full year of training, you know, everything slowly comes together and matches together really, really nicely. When you're at your peak training volume, just to kind of put it in perspective, the how much work that it goes into being uh, an elite athlete at your level and to win, how many hours a day do you train? You're doing two a days, but how many hours on like a peak peak training week? I would say it's about, um, it can be up to about, you know, four hours a day, three to four hours a day, two, two hours in the morning, and then uh, two hours in the afternoon. And it's pretty tough. You know, those days are really long days. Um, it could, you know, I'm in bed sometimes by like 8.30, and I feel like, you know, like grandma, but, you know, it's just it's all that training. And 
But that training is really important because you know, this year the Olympic and Paralympic Games, and to have that um, that stress build up and, and to have that amount of endurance in, in one amount of week um, will really help you to prepare for the Paralympic Games, um, where I'll be competing either once a day or even twice a day. And since I'll be doing you know the events from the hundred meter all the way through you know the marathon, some days I'll be competing twice a day. And but I've already had practice doing that. Um, so that's you know, the really importance of why we, we do this and why we put in all, a lot of amount of time and training um, and focus on specific events. And just to clarify, you're you're the first athlete ever to attempt to do all the track and field events. Yes, I, I am. I'll be the first athlete in history, um, only in Paralympics, to try to um, achieve all events. Um, and I'm really, really excited about that. You know, I have a passion for racing, and, you know, it doesn't matter what distance it is, you know, from 100 all the way through the marathon. Um, they're all very different event focused, um, specific, but I, I just love what I do, and uh, I'm really, really excited for real. Yeah, it's very exciting. I'm going to take a quick step back. So you were born with spina bifida. You're paralyzed from the waist down. You compete in these races with the use of a wheelchair. Are there any advantages or disadvantages? I'm sure there's both to having to, to using a chair. Well, you know, uh, I think one question that comes up a lot is that uh, you know we're compared to hand cyclists, and but we're not. We're we're very different from from hand cyclists. Um, for wheelchair racing, it's all with our upper body. Um, there's no gears. However fast I'm going that day, however fast I'm going, my arms are my own gears. And I think that's a little bit of the misconception that people may have because when they see a racing chair, it's three wheels, two in the back and one in the front, and they see you know steering in the front. Um, but that steering um, in the front is to help us turn on on the road, either left or right. And then below that, we have steering to help us to turn left on the track and then straight again. And uh, so sometimes, you know, I feel like people are a little bit confused um, when they see a racing chair and uh, and then see um, a hand cyclist. But, you know, I feel like if, if you got into a racing chair, you would find it, you know, very, very difficult um, because it takes a lot of power and a lot of arm muscle. You know, it's like runners. You know, they're trained to run miles and miles and miles of it on, on their legs. And for me, I don't, I don't see any difference. It's what I've grown up doing. And uh, so all my strengths are specifically um, in the core and upper body and, and back muscles. And uh, so it's it's no disadvantage or advantage, you know. We we all compete um, in the same you know racing chair. We all compete in the same weather, um, and it just comes down to whoever you know um, is the strongest that day and uh, and plays you know the race really really smart. So when it's race day, you're in the racing chair. Paint me a picture of what it's like in the race from your perspective. Start of the race, mid race, end of the race, whatever. What what sticks out to you the most from your perspective when you're racing? You know, when I'm when I'm racing, um, from getting into my racing chair, I just think about you know, my my game plan and uh, just try to relax and to have fun. You know, sometimes you know you get really nervous, but you know all the training I've done beforehand, and so I um, just. It's just me, me time, and, and to focus on um, and myself, and to focus on my goals for the race, 
and what I want to accomplish that day and think about weather conditions and, you know, just my routine and did I wake up and, and, um, and eat, um, you know, the things that I normally would eat for a marathon and just going through that routine and took me back twice and then hopping into the racing chair and really just executing on the entire race and when that gun goes off, you know, you're off and, and you're racing and during the race you focus on where your competitors are, where you are in the race, you know, um, how exhausted you are and how much energy that you have, um, your strength and weaknesses versus their strength and weaknesses and, you know, by the time you, uh, as the race goes on, you finish towards near the end of the race and think about tactics um, you hear with other racers. And so you know, you're constantly thinking from the moment that you wake up or race all the way until it finishes. One thing I want to discuss, and I'm curious on your take on this. I think there's a lot of people who misunderstand or aren't sure how to talk about disabilities, what they should or shouldn't say, especially when it comes to sports. And, you know, do, A, do you find that to be true? And then what do you, what would you like for people to understand better? Um, you know, I think, um, you know, there's, I think Paralympics and disability sport is evolving and it's changing, changing for the better because of media and social media and the Paralympics are on TV for the first time um, because of NBC. And I think when they realize that, when they see the sport and, you know, if we take them into, when we talk about our training, I think they, people are, society starting to realize, you know, they're just like, any elite athlete training for a Paralympic Games. And, you know, when I talk about my training and, you know, when Med talks about their training, you know, we're pretty much on the same training cycle sometimes. And we do the same amount of distance and, and the lifts. You know, my lifts are probably, you know, are more forward and arm specific where his are leg specific. Mm-hmm. And I think it's that, you know, that little misfit conception there um but it's just teaching society you know and showing you know, the ease of training and a little bit of what i do and talk about the racing chair and, mm. and the training um so i think that a little bit of that misconception you know as you see maybe their perspective starting to change and people understand it a little more clearly like you explained what do you think that changes in the long run um that what we do is hard, <laughs> you know, it's just like any marathoner, you know, when they want to come in and, and run a marathon, they know how hard training is for the first time for a marathon. And uh, training is my job. And uh, being an elite a wheelchair racer and and Paralympic athlete, that is my job full time, 24-7. I, that's all I do is, is training. And uh, I think that's, you know, it's it's hard. It's not it's not easy some days. Some days I'd say, Oh, it's you know, it's raining outside, I really don't want to go outside and push thirty two degrees, I'm gonna breeze out there and it's gonna be so hard getting out there first and um but you know, you take a step back and you think about, you know, why you're doing this and why you love it and um I think that's what people are starting to realize when they get to know an athlete in their daily routines and you know that circle back to social media people can find me you know on facebook on instagram and, and on twitter and kind of go through a day life of me and, and what i do and uh and i you know i think that they start to see you know what i go through every day 
Yeah, well, you're out there putting in the work, obviously getting incredible athletic results, and you have some great sponsors that have come on board over the years. You have Coke, Nike, BP, Liberty Mutual, BMW. Those are at least the ones that I know. Um, how did these sponsorships come about? Um, you know, that's, that's a great question. You know, the sponsorship has definitely um, evolved over the years. Um, you know, in starting 2004, um, I only had a tour sponsorship and, um, and a Hilton um, sponsorship. And, and in 2008, I had um, a chair sponsorship and um, Athletic Works uh, wear sponsorship. And I was on um, a McDonald's cup, but you know, sponsorships were very limited um, for for Paralympians, mm-hmm. and I think that you know that's changing now, and they're starting to realize that you know the the story that Paralympians have and the journeys that we have taken to that we have taken and how far we've come, and um, you know. Without sponsorship, I would not be number one in the world. It would be very, very hard because, you know, a, a wheelchair, a racing chair costs just about five grand, just the frame itself. And then you have wheels, which are two grand each. So you have three of them. And then you have tires over that. And those are about 250 a piece. And one week I went through six. And, and, uh, that's why sponsorships are important. Um, you know, they help me put me through training and to travel, and um, you know, I can really focus on on living and training at the same time, um, which is really important for athletes. And I think that you know, I'm so happy that you know it's changing and that uh, people want to um, see Paralympic sport. And I think that really helps the growth and the movement of that. And I think sponsorships are, you know, coming out because of that. And uh, and I think that, you know, one of my very first big sponsorships with BP, I think they really paid me access for that. And they really treated the Olympians and the Paralympians the same way. And it, they're just so classy in that way. And I think that other sponsors are starting to follow that. Well, that's what that's what I was going to ask you next, which is, you know, are sponsors coming to you and or other athletes, maybe in the Paralympics, Paralympians, that they're specifically coming to you because you're a Paralympian or are they coming to you because you're an elite athlete and they're looking at you the same that they would look at any other athlete? Or is that evolving? Has it changed over time? Yeah, I think it's, uh, yeah, I think it's definitely you know, changing over time. Um, you know, I think that, you know, when... They approach me. They approach me as an elite athlete, and they approach me because of my accomplishments mm-hmm. and um, because I have a great story to tell, you know. And uh, you know, it's, it's just, um, I, you know, I think that's why you know stories are so important because we're relatable. You know, I I didn't join track because I you know I was fast. You know, I joined sports because it was a way for me to get healthy. And later in life, I really fell in love with sports and that driven me to have dreams and goals and later in life and I feel like I'm more relatable to the society in that way. You know, I just didn't pick up a sport because I was good at it or because my brother and sister did it. Um, and so, you know, just being able to share the story with society um, is so important because you never know what person's going through something, you know, that challenges in your own life and 
Um, I think people can be kind of inspired that way um, to kind of hurdle over their own personal challenges um, when they see Paralympic athletes. Well, it's great to hear that brands are moving in that direction because I think that's important and sponsorship is very important, especially track and field. And, um, you know, we're seeing some brands, like you mentioned, that are doing that are going in that direction and are just looking for good athletes or people with really good stories or, that are inspirational, which is the way to do it. But there's still a lot of brands that may sponsor either Olympic athletes or other professional athletes that just are absent in the Paralympic Games or other athletes with disabilities are they missing out on an opportunity? Of course, we're great people. <laughs> um, but you know, time is coming, and uh, and I, I think that you know companies are changing. It's just a matter of time, um, you know. And it's that movement since two thousand and four to now has changed drastically. Um, and I think that you know companies are starting to see that, and they're starting to to realize that, and. Uh, I'm really excited to what has in store for the future. I mean, I'm only 26 years old. And I'm still really, really young in the track um, profession. I have many more years to go, you know, for wheelchair racing. You know, I don't hit my peak until I'm about 30, um, mid-30s. So I still have a long way to go. And I'm really excited to see what that journey has ahead of me and what other, um, you know, the growth of the Paralympic movement, the growth of, track and, and marathons. Um, I think they've just, you know, blossomed so far and I'm excited to see what will happen in the future. Yeah, it's very exciting. It seems like it's at least heading in the right direction, which is which is great. Yeah. Um, all right, I'll, I'll take it back again. So so you've had an incredible story. The first six years of your life were in a Russian orphanage, virtually like nothing. You didn't even have a wheelchair. Um, doctors were worried uh, about that you were too weak, about your health was very serious. Um, your mom adopted you and started getting you involved in different sports just to build you up physically and, 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 and kind of improve your health. Um, she said that you took to sports very quickly and you loved it. Let's fast forward 20 years and now you're a world champion. To say you've overcome the odds is an incredible understatement. What is it inside of you that has pushed you not only to just survive, but to become the best in the world and do what you do on a day-to-day -day basis? Uh, that's a great question. I think, you know, growing up and, and living in orphanage, I've always had a different attitude. Um, and it was kind of an attitude of, of a Russian phrase called Yasama, which means back off, I can do it, and I can do it myself. Um, and I've always been independent that way, and I've always figured out ways to overcome challenges. So when I didn't have a wheelchair, I learned to walk on my hands or to crawl around. Um, and some people think I built strength that way, um, but for me, it was just a way of getting around. Um, and I've put that into just living life daily, you know, whatever challenges come ahead, even in school or, or starting sports, I just just have that certain drive and um, certain work ethic and to, um, you know, if, if I can, you know, it just, yeah, it's, I can do it and I want to do it very well. Um, and I think that I've always carried that um, ever since I was a young girl to even now. Um, and it's really important to have that in, in training and to work ethics because some days are going to be good and, and some days are going to be bad. Do you view yourself as a success story? <laughs> you know, um, yeah, I, I really think I, I do. You know, uh, when I went back to the orphanage in 2011, I went on a very private trip 
um, after the London Marathon. I told my mom I wanted to go back, and she said, well, you're, we're in London. So like, yeah, well, we crossed that big ocean. She's like, you know like how much further we is? And um, going back, and it was the first time ever that um, that someone went back to the orphanage, let alone someone with a disability. And it was a way of teaching them that, you know, I am a success story and that, you know, people with disabilities can live normal lives. And um, and so I really, really do believe that in a success story. And to be able to share that back with the orphanage and orphanage director and, um, you know, even Rani with my, with my birth mom at, in 2011, you know, um, she had to do the hardest part as a birth mom was to give me up for hoping for a better life. And so that's a success story in, in itself right there as well. Um, and yeah, so I really, I really do believe that, you know, um, that, you know, things happen and, uh, yeah, I would say so. A lot of people look at you as the voice or the face, you know, behind the movement and really helping, um, bring to light and more information and, and the betterment of people with disabilities, both on the athletic side and just in general. Is that something you own? Is there a lot of pressure to, to be looked at in that way, to kind of be holding that on your shoulders? No, uh, there's no pressure. I just kind of live my life and, uh, and share it, you know, and I think that people are really interested and, and gravitate to that as well and speaking at schools and hospitals and um and just really being able to share my story um i think that you know it it kind of unwinds in itself you know i um and but i do believe that as an elite athlete and an elite athlete with disability you know, you do have a little bit of, of that role um but you know, I'm just living life normally, and so there's no pressure. Oh, that's amazing, and you give back so much. When you hear the word disability, what do you think? Or what's your reaction? Uh, my reaction is always take out the dis and disability and just have it ability. Um, you know, I think that we're all able to, to do something if we desire to. If you could tell one thing to somebody struggling, like they feel like they have a disadvantage in life, whatever that may be, um, and they were struggling deeply with with some sort of challenge, physical or other. What would you tell them? What would you want them to know? You know, I I, I believe you know we, we all go through certain struggles, and um, but it's it's finding ways to overcome them and really understanding yourself, or you know, looking at stories by others, but not to give up. You know, it's very easy. To say, oh, I'm done. You know, life is, is too hard. I'm going to go sit in the corner, and uh, but life should be lived always, um, and lived with fulfillment. And you, know, you can't do that if you hold yourself back. Um, what's one perception you wish you could change um, about athletes or people that have disabilities? One perception. Um, you know, I, you know, when people look at me, I want them to be inspired by you know, the person that I am and not what they see. You know, I don't want them to be inspired by it because I'm a girl in a wheelchair, you know, rolling down the street. I want them to be inspired because of how strong and 
by my accomplishments and what I've done in the marathon world and for the Paralympics and my journey as, as an elite athlete in itself. You obviously, you inspire so many people and, and there's a lot of people that look up to you. Um, you have an incredible story, you've done so much. Who inspires you? Uh, I would say, you know, my family. They've always believed in my craziest dreams. You know, they, they've always told me that my dreams are never too big or my ambitions are never too practical. And um, so I think that's always stuck with me. You know, whatever I want to do, they are 100% behind me. Amazing. What's next for Tatiana? What are, what are your goals? What's, what's coming? You're only 26 years old. You've accomplished so many things. What's next? The Olympics. <laughs> That's right around the corner. Um, so I'm really just focusing on that each and every day, um, putting the time and training. And uh, unfortunately, you know, hardly no vacations this year. So it's just really focusing on um, training and I'm taking a class this semester. So just to have that nice balance, um, trying to finish up my master's program. So that's what leads ahead in the future. Um, just really focusing on this year. Amazing. Well, it's an exciting and busy year, and um, I'm going to be excited to watch, uh, you know, watch how it goes at the uh, at the Olympics, Paralympics for you. And uh, thank you so much for coming on the show. I think this was really amazing. Get to give everybody some insight into who you are. Thank you so much for having me. I've been lucky enough to see Tatiana win the New York City Marathon in person the last couple of years. She's an absolutely amazing athlete and a really incredible human being, and I'm excited to see what she does at the Rio Paralympics this summer. If you liked this episode and this interview, please make sure to subscribe to the YouTube channel. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for watching, and tune in to the next Out of Scope. Next Out of Scope.